Never stop seeking. Never abandon your burning questions. And never settle for anything but the answer he'll give, because he will. He will. We're into an interesting verse, and it ties in with everything you shared. Do you remember when we started in the journey of the parables? We started in Matthew chapter 13. Veritable gold mine of parables in that chapter. And the whole collection, that's what we're going through in little collections of things. And that collection was the kingdom of heaven is like. Isn't it amazing? God comes down here. He, he looks us in the eye and he says, well, let me tell you, the kingdom of heaven is light. And then off we go into um, that situation. So we're actually, we followed all the way down and we went through all the kingdom is like until we get down to the end. And then there's just these few lines that tie it all together and you almost blow by them. One last little parable in there, only a sentence long. And, uh, and that's kind of where we are. If you're in the bulletin, you'll see why it's in there like this, is that in the bulletin, there is this um, uh, kind of what came before. All the parables to let you know, just to let you know where we are. Now, here's an interesting thing about those parables. Maybe another curiosity question, if anyone remembers. And I'll be super impressed if you get the same features I do here. Did anything unique strike you about Jesus, how he explained what the kingdom of heaven is like? That's taking you way back. I mean, we're going back to January. So, I mean, I'll be like triply impressed. Most of us don't even remember where we were in January. So. Here's what was unique. And, and I can say, no judgment on anybody. I, I have to research all week, so I, <laughs> I go back and look at stuff, right? But here's what's unique about it, is for all the fact that Jesus is telling you what the kingdom of heaven is like, he never mentions a feature of heaven. He never mentions a boundary or a building or uh, what the streets of gold are like. He doesn't talk about any of that stuff. Through all of the parable, he all of the parables, the full collection, all he talks about is people. People of the kingdom. Hence the question we start with. How do we see ourselves in this uh, citizenship? He mentions people and he talks about how people are collected and how they're rejected, how they come to the truth and how they fade away from the truth. He talks about people realizing the value of heaven, even when the world doesn't in any way. He talks about all of these things, but it's all about people. God who is sovereign, and people. It's a whole thing. That's how he explains it. And then he goes out and he shares this with the casual masses. Most of them don't understand what he's talking about. However, the disciples, the people who are entering, 
the kingdom, this hope as Morgan was talking about. They're destined to understand what he's talking about deeper and deeper and deeper. So we have Matthew 13 doing this. We barely scratched the surface, months of doing this, barely scratched the surface of these um, <clears throat> different parables. Then after he provides this mountain of wisdom, this mountain of illustration, he ends up with a quick question and one last little parable. Almost easy to let it slip by. And that's why in your bulletin you see this bing, 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 all this bullet point, and then you see this passage, Matthew 13, 51. He asks his disciples, have you understood all these things? Does that not seem like a bit of a silly question? It's like I get uh, past Chris up here and say, Chris, explain to us in an hour everything we need to know about quantum mechanics. And then he says, do you understand all these things? And we all sit there and go, uh-huh. <laughs> but maybe if we're really smart and listen really hard, we got enough at least to start the journey. And that's really where Jesus was going. Do you understand enough of all of these? Because we know from the parables, they all hit different angles. Do you know enough to get started? Do you know enough to start your citizenship papers that we're talking about? And then he comes down to these few lines. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, all that months of stuff that we, we went through in all of these parables all gets summed up in these two sentences. And we know that for this reason. He begins with the word, therefore. That's what the last sentence is, therefore. So what does it look like to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven? What does that really look like? It has to do with a treasure and it has to do with what's new and what's old. So let me throw out a, another question, curiosity. When Jesus says the new and the old, in your impression, what exactly do you think, what is new and old? What's he talking about? What's new and old? God's revelation, okay. He took that and manifested what was in the shadow. If I didn't know better, I think you guys were in Sunday school this morning. <laughs> wow, this is, uh, which will be interesting, because some of this stuff is sounding strangely familiar from Sunday school, isn't it? Let's dismantle the sentences that Jesus gave us here, and let's see how much on track we really are. Now, the first term in Christ's statement, the first term 
is really a bit of a head scratcher because he, he's talking to his disciples and he says every scribe, when we think of the scribes in the New Testament, what do we tend to think of? Are they good guys? No, last week we just covered a parable where a scribe tried yet again <laughs> to trap Jesus in some argument. So we don't see them in this really positive light. So it's kind of weird, isn't it? Is that Jesus uses this term that we see as negative. But as it turns out, the term scribe, the truth has both a negative and a positive connotation to it. The word scribe in the culture simply meant one who studied the Mosaic law to the point that they were trained, they were trained to handle difficult questions. That was the job of the scribe, to know the scripture so well, when somebody came to you with a difficult question, you were trained to answer that question. That sounds pretty good. Here's where the problem went. They started obsessing over the little points to the degree that uh, they were, as Jesus would say, they were straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. As uh, James Strong says, it's to the detriment of religion they did this. On the other hand, the, the scribes were very, very different in the beginning. There's uh, the renowned pastor Ray Stedman put it really well. I can't say it better than he did, so guess what? It's not plagiarism if you quote the person. So, quote Ray Stedman. If you want to know who these scribes were, you must begin back in the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra was the first of the scribes. He was a leader among the remnant of the Jews who returned to Jerusalem from Babylon after the captivity. The first arrivals had found the city of Jerusalem in utter ruins. The temple completely destroyed. The Jews were authorized to rebuild the temple and the city and especially to restore the worship of God in the temple. In order to be able to do so, in order to be able to do so, the spirit of the people first had to be built up. Wow, what a beautiful line. The spirit of the people first had to be built up. And to do that, Ezra took the law of Moses and began to teach the people out of the law. Chapter 8 of Nehemiah records that a pulpit of wood was built for him. This is the first time a pulpit appears in Scripture. Standing upon it, he began to speak to them from the Scriptures and to interpret the law of Moses, explaining what it meant. That was the beginning of the ministry of the scribes. At first, it was a very helpful ministry. How desperately such scribes are needed today. What a wonderful conclusion. And Jesus qualified, this is the scribe, right? The scribe as one trained for. Trained for. In the original Greek, meaning to be a disciple, to enroll as a scholar. To enroll as a scholar. Consider that for a moment. Jesus says to his followers, all of his followers, 
you are to enroll as scholars. Now, we're supposed to be able to know enough to handle difficult questions that may come to us. But here's the reality, right? Just at the word scholar, some of you sit there and I'm sure you were laughing inwardly. I am not wired to be a scholar. And that's fine, but it does raise a question. It does raise a question for you and me and everyone else who would follow Christ is, how deep should a believer get into God's word? How deep should we go? We're not all wired the same. But the answer is universal and it's quite simple. As deep as the capacity God has given you to question. As deep as the capacity God has given you to question. As a matter of fact, I would say this, it is imperative. It is crucial that you go that deep. Why so? Whatever our level, if a believer doesn't plumb the depths of their burning questions, I don't know all your burning questions. God does and you do. But if we refuse to go to the depths of those burning questions, then we'll never undergird our faith with the support it needs. Never ignore your burning questions. Man, if you take nothing else up this morning, let me say that. Never avoid, never neglect your burning questions. Consider it. We had a bunch of kids go out there to uh, uh, Children's Church right now. And there's going to be a good job done in there. And they're going to teach them up to the age they are. But how many kids have come to Sunday school and they ended up with a fairly firm understanding of God for a 10-year-old and they stop there. And then they're 13 and they're 14 and they're 15 and they're 16 and they're understanding God at a 10-year-old level. It's not going to do it. A 10-year-old can't answer the questions and challenges of a 16-year-old. How many adults that they've been walking with the Lord, they've been popping in and out of churches for 10 or 20 years, but if their understanding is still way back like that first year disciple, how are they going to navigate the burning questions? How are they going to understand? To be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, to really be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, according to God, according to Jesus Christ, according to the therefore we just read, is this. We are to continue being the good scribe. Continue being the good scribe. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. There's your context for where we're going. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. Now, then Jesus has set up this context of looking at what the new and the old is we're talking about. He's speaking specifically on the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking about what's old and new there. He's speaking to every disciple down to you and me. We need to understand the old and the new. The first part of the sentence sets up the second. The first part sets up the second. So it continues like 
a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. It's quite a line. I've got to tell you, as I researched this, uh, even some of the best messages just seemed then they launched everywhere else. Uh, they, they went into all kinds of areas. But we're going to try and stay true to the scripture. Not that they weren't, but true to the focus of what Jesus is saying here. Master of the house. There's our first term. It literally means house despot. It's the person who is, you could say, homeowner, you could say the elder of the house, the, the head of the house, the house coordinator, the person who is responsible for everyone else in the home there. And that person brings out old things that are tried and true. We have all got our old things that are tried and true, and I find the older I get, the more old things that are tried and true that I, I go for. And if it's appropriate, new things that need to be brought in. And sometimes you combine the old and the new and make whatever's needed. So you're bringing out the old and new for the benefit of everyone in the home. So there's our context. It says, out of his treasure. Now, the word there means storehouse, uh, but it, it, it's uh, defined like this. The place where good and precious things are collected. The treasure is that place where good and precious things are collected. Actually, the literal translation is placed into moral. Placed into moral. And I, I thought that was a beautiful perspective to the word because that means the things that you're collecting into your storehouse are not like we tend to be today where we're just hoarding things and getting them all collected. The idea is you're collecting things in order to use them in the days to come. As you save it, the plan is you are going to use it. And implication is for the benefit of others. So we end up with some questions. Is there a place in our heart? Is there a place in your heart and in your mind where you store up spiritual wealth? Do you have that inside your soul? Storing up spiritual wealth, the stuff God gives you, Man, great in the class today. Loved it where you guys went. That wealth can come from anywhere, can't it, guys? It can come from people who are strong in the faith. It may come from somebody. Uh, God brings a message to you from somebody who doesn't even know him or believe him. God brings messages where he will. But he gives you wealth to store up. And what do we do with the wealth? What's the purpose of it? Remember, uh, there was an article, I can't even remember who wrote it now, but it was a great line about people addicted to Bible studies. Sounds funny. But the idea was, it was like they are going to spiritual banquets, always eating and never working at all. How many people um, get all kinds of knowledge, but never really put it to use? Makes you ask, when you have these treasures, what are you doing? Are they for special occasions? Are they for everyday use? Does bring the challenge. God gives a wealth of revelation. He gives a wealth of revelation, wisdom, ways to anchor yourself, ways to apply yourself in his wisdom. But let's revisit the question of what exactly is new and old. You're told this is what you're supposed to do. You are supposed to be bringing out the new and the old. So what are we really talking about? Well, let's 
consider some things we're not not talking about. And that wasn't a double negative. I meant I, that was a stutter. It's not talking about. It can't be new and old truth. Can't be. I, I have to say, if I see a commentary and I see he's bringing out new truth, my teeth grit. Why? Well, as we understand truth from God's perspective, God is truth. He's not simply the source of truth. God is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the, and the light. God doesn't change, therefore God's truth doesn't change. So we're not talking about any kind of changing truth. It can't refer to God's word or law. Matthew 5.18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. By the way, anyone know what an iota is? It's actually a Greek letter. It's the ninth letter of the Greek alphabet. And when it's used as a symbol, it symbolizes something that can barely be detected. So what that means is the law is still here remaining to the level of even the parts that you can barely detect. It's all still here. None of it has passed away. The law remains, so it can't be the law. The principles and the spiritual dynamics of every law never change. Now, I'm not going to get in a conversation about the mitzvah and how uh, the law got interpreted into other laws. I'm talking about when you open your Old Testament and read it, the laws that are in there. They never cease to be a reality. However, the seasons of humanity change. Our understanding changes, our practices change, our experience changes, and God's plan and revelation unfold in a progressive manner. Now we're getting into old and new. I'll give you an example of how this works. Just take the Ten Commandments. Okay, everybody right now, tell me all ten in order. Oh, you should have seen the looks of panic. It was amazing, <laughs> including me. But the point is, if you consider the laws that were given, they're still in effect in principle, right? It's always wrong to have another God before the one true God. That never changes. It's always wrong, get this fellas, it's wrong to steal your neighbor's wife. Still is today. Doesn't go well. Families get destroyed, lives get destroyed. The principle is still in full effect. It's still wrong to covet your neighbor's goods. Envy will hollow out your life. Envy is as bad as it ever was. It's still there. And here's one. Sabbath rest is still essential. One of the greatest crippling factors in the modern church, in the Western church right now, is the fact we lost touch with what Sabbath rest is. Oh, man, that is still really, really valid. So what exactly are we talking about, new and old? What is it then? Let me once again refer to people a lot smarter than I am. William Barclay explains as if Jesus is saying this. He's explaining as, as if Jesus were saying it himself. A scribe comes to me with a lifetime of study of the law of all its commandments. That background helps you to understand 
But after you have been instructed by me, that is Jesus, you have the knowledge not only of the things you used to know, but of things you never knew before. And even the knowledge which you had before is illuminated by what I tell you. The pulpit commentary says this, that it is to say to understand the relation of the old and new and to bring out even the old in its true meaning, to bring out the old even in its true meaning. Hence, old is mentioned after new for it implies greater knowledge and skill. It was kind of interesting. You ever wonder that? Jesus didn't say, bring out the old and new. He said, bring out the new and old. I thought that was a great definition of, or explanation. The greatest difference between new and old is that what was once written on tablets before your eyes is now written in spirit in your heart. There's the big difference. The principles, everything we could go back and look in the laws, the principles, the goal, the agenda of all of those laws still in full effect, still in full effect. It's just the way now they are on the inside instead of the outside. You know, when I try and explain this to myself, it takes me back to an experience that you probably have your own version of this, and it takes me back into a thought about flying. Funny about that, it always seems to go there. But I got into it in an unusual way. I was in college while saving up the money to do the flight lessons, but ground school wasn't so expensive. So I took the entire ground school, devoured every word, listened to it, and so I learned all the book knowledge. I had all the theory, the protocols. In the book it said when you fly, uh, never do this, and you better always do this. And you go, well, that's it. I'll believe it because the book told me and that's the theory. And then finally, I got to do my flight lessons, and I got into this plane, and I'm flying, and I go, now I can see why I should never do that, and I better always do this. I brought life to the book knowledge, and that's what's really going on here, like scripture. It wasn't new truth, it wasn't new law, it was new revelation. 1 John 2, 7 and 8, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment. Near the end of the New Testament, and here we are, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him. See, there's where it becomes new, right there, because it is true in him and in you. It is true in him and it's true in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now the challenges of dealing with the new and old. Now that we got some idea what we're talking about. Now the challenges of this new and old for you, for me, if we are citizens in the kingdom of heaven. The first challenge we already got, it's understanding understanding in the first place. And in that understanding comes a bridging of the new and old stuff, the new and old revelations. It's getting to a point where you see the entire Bible, as the term goes, Christocentric. 
the entire Bible from the Christ view, all one long book. And the old gold of, of the Old Testament, the old gold of timeless truth is attached with the living breath of the new revelation that comes along. I, I want to show you something. And I, I want to give you a little story on the aside. Mike, in case you were wondering, there you are, buddy, right on the end of there. So I, I'm by Mike's place, right? And I say, Mike, uh, do you have any small dowels? Because I'm going to build a Bible out of a stick. He doesn't even bat an eye. He just goes, I think I got the thing for you. <laughs> and, and by golly, he did. So there's the Mike dowels on the end of there. And when you look at it, the point was, if you wonder where this was going with all of this, there's the old, there's the old gold. There's the rooting, the root that you talked about in class. All the timeless principles of gold. And then with the new, the idea is that the two have to bridge together. That's what we're called to do. This is physical form explaining what Jesus said in here is to bring these together. But here's a question for you. We should make Mike answer since it's his dowels, but we won't. We'll put, it, put everybody on the spot. Who then, the, the dowels are obviously the bridge in this. Who would the dowels represent in this? What was that? Well, these are the Old and New Testament. The dowels are bridging them together. I hear a bunch of Jesus, and somebody else said, what, prophecies? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Hmm, can't argue that one. Okay, so you're going with Jesus as the dolls. Nobody said they're Mike Black, just so you know. <laughs> but if they did, they would have been right, Mike, because you are all right in what you're saying. Of course, Jesus is a bridge. Of course, the Holy Spirit bridges these and brings life. But in the context of the parable, you are the dolls. You are the one trained for the difficult questions. You are the one who is supposed to bridge the old and new and be that witness for other people. Now, of course, as we say, just to reiterate, we understand in the big picture of theology, Jesus is the bridge. But Jesus himself... Think of this in these two lines. Pulls himself out of the equation for a moment and puts us there. You will be the bridge between these two things. The scribes are the disciples. That's by definition. The disciples are the citizens of the kingdom. So if you are a citizen of the kingdom, you are a bridge. Not me, that's what Jesus says. Jesus calls us to join the gold of the old and the life of the new. Now then, this really poses a kind of a 
question or another challenge here from this little parable. As these represent these things, let me bring out something else. Since we are talking about you, I, I bet you I can, you will see it better from here. Can you read what's on there, anybody? Your life. And if you want to cheat, there you go. Your life. We have an old and we have a new testament. And we're called not just to bridge, but to balance them. We're called to balance them. Oh, that gets tough, isn't it? It's so easy when it's all one thing or another, but when you have to balance, it's all those pesky words you guys brought up in the class today, like discernment and things like that. Wisdom, where does it come from? All of that type of thing. But we're called to have the wisdom and the discernment. We're called to balance these things. But let's consider for a moment, what happens if we don't balance? What happens if we don't? What if, for instance, I'm a real stickler on the Old Testament. I'm kind of a Judaizer. I barely believe this at all. I'm certainly not too balanced, am I? What does it look like when our Christianity is more like that? When it's all the gold, but none of the breathing life in there? Well, there are tendencies that tend to pop up. For instance, we tend to become very legalistic, fall back on the old laws. We tend to become very stale. Why are you at church today? Oh, I'm supposed to be. It's my duty. That type of thing. It, it tends to be stuff that's fueled by the fear of God and not the love of God. Now, I don't mind the idea of, in perspective, the, uh, the fire and brimstone sermons people talk about. And they did fit and they were a message and still are in their time and perspective. But you know what? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end. Do you know what the end of wisdom is? The love of God. That's the end. And that's missing if we're all gold and no white life on the other end, if we would. How about this then? How about we say we're not making that mistake. We're a New Testament church. And that's what we are. There you are. Your life is New Testament. Well, it's still not balanced. It's still not balanced in that way. What happens when we tend to be all New Testament only? Well, we certainly see God as love. We get that now. Well, we tend to forget that God is also justice. We uh, have a sense of entitlement now because this is all about our age and our culture. So we deconstruct and reconstruct what God says, taking the intentions. We're entitled to make them whatever we feel they really should mean in our day. And most of all, if we're all New Testament, we are literally a faith with no roots. We're a faith with no roots. The faith will tend to become what's the latest experience rather than what's the ageless truth. We may even find ourselves saying foolish things like, I like the God of the New Testament, but I hate the God of the Old Testament. 
If you hear that or if you say that, there's a really good indicator there that we don't know the God of either. Now the white stick of the New Testament on its own, it can't be balanced any more than the gold. But, you know, let's stretch the illustration again and say, well, hey, yeah, but what you're not thinking, you could just balance the white stick. There we go. See, we're balanced again. Are we? Are we? But the fact is, technically, there's a balance going on, but it's woefully incomplete. It's missing a whole section. Is something truly balanced when it's woefully incomplete? I think we can argue when it comes to God's truth that no, it's not. This is what a kingdom person, this is what a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is called to. You're called to have a knowledge. You're called to have this knowledge. You're called to have this knowledge. And then you're called to bridge them together. And then once they are bridged together and it leaves you in a place you can answer the difficult question, then becomes the thing that's 24-7. It never stops, does it? When you're balancing something, it's always a correction here or there. It's never done and that's it. Now, Kathy, uh, she came out with her giant, very decorated new Living Testament Bible she had, along with others, because Kathy's quite a scholar, scribe. But she says, I love the way the New Living Translation put this, and I agree because even though it's something of a paraphrase, when they get stuff right, they really get it right. And I love the way they put uh, verse 52. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, that's what we're talking about, is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth. New gems of truth. Not new truth. New gems of truth as well as old just brings us back to us as we're talking citizens what gems do we have in our storehouse what gems are in yours i can guarantee you this i would guarantee you this from observation and from personal experience if you are persistent, you might sit there and think, you know, for all this Bible stuff, I read it and a lot of it's not maybe making sense or not getting much deeper. At any point in your life, any point in your life, if you are consistent and persistent, do you remember the, the widow who went before the judge? Remember that parable? She wouldn't leave the poor guy alone until she got what she wanted. This is what God's talking about. If you will stay the course, if you will stay persistent, at some point, at any point, God can open up Scripture in such a way that it'll be like you never knew anything before. He does that. He does that. Never stop seeking. Never abandon your burning questions. And never settle for anything but the answer he'll give. Because he will. He will. 
in the gems that you now have, how's your balance? You doing okay with it? It's not very easy, is it? How can we truly balance anything in life? Here's the question, though. As difficult as this might be, knowing what you know as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and the core of life in there, how can you balance anything else in your life if you can't balance this? That's the call. If we aspire to be genuine kingdom people, if we really want to be citizens, we need to plumb the depths of our questions to hear the heights of God's answers. We need to seek discernment to balance all God has let you know now. The new stuff, the old stuff that needs to be brought back to remembrance. We need to balance it all. Boy, that's one right from Revelation. One church had a problem, just one problem. They forgot their first love. Old stuff, stuff you knew from way back. Brings us back to the opening question. Are you a citizen? Are you really a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Because the good news is any of us can be. Any of us can be if we'll stay committed to it.